0: Hi folks, it's Rabbi Sharon Brous here. You are listening to eCars podcast, where you can hear our sermons from Shabbat and holidays, our guest speakers, our teachers, anything we think worth listening to that we can capture, you can hear right here. Thank you so much for being with us. Our, our car has a new safety feature when it drives in reverse, it blasts this high-pitched choir of angels. I don't know if any of you have this, to warn anyone who happens to be walking behind the car to beware. And I tried desperately to deactivate it, mostly on behalf of our neighbors, uh, who we felt should not have to hear the thunderous chorus of the heavenly host every time we backed up into our driveway. But the dealer said that it was designed to save lives, so we just had to get used to it. And I think now that it might be because I've been surrounded daily by the sounds of the heavenly chorus that I have lately been particularly attuned to angels, which is actually what I want to talk about with all of you tonight. And I know that many of you are thinking that Jews don't really talk about angels. But the thing is, they they feature prominently throughout Torah, throughout our sacred texts, throughout our tradition. So I want to take a little bit of time tonight to explore and to see what we might learn. On Rosh Hashanah, just 10 days ago, we read two stories. One on the first day, one on the second Both of these were stories of Abraham from the book of Genesis. And in both of these stories, Abraham was called to do the unthinkable, to take the life of one of his beloved sons. And in both of those two stories, the course of events was turned not by man and not by God, but by an angel. So on the first day of Rosh Hashanah, you might remember Abraham banishes his son Ishmael and his wife Hagar and sends them out into the barren desert. And Hagar quickly falls into despair. She's certain that they're gonna die and she places the boy down and she starts to weep and to wail, she's broken. And then it is Malach Elohim, an angel of God, who appears before Hagar. Al-Tiri, the angel says, don't be afraid. God has heard the boy's cries, and he's going to survive. And in that moment, Hagar's eyes are opened, and miraculously she sees a well of water that was actually just right in front of her. And the rabbis ask, did God place the well in that place in that moment? But no, they say, it was actually there all along, but in her grief, she was unable to see that the thing she needed most was actually right in front of her strengthened by the angel's promise strengthened by the angel's presence she was able to see what she couldn't see before so this angel then is is a quiet life-saving force that gives hope and gives strength to the anguished in their darkest moments the next abraham narrative is the Akedat, the binding of isaac we read this on the second day of rosh hashanah And again, here, an angel figures prominently. Abraham is on top of the mountain. He's poised to slaughter Isaac, his beloved son. And again, it's not God, but it's an angel who calls out to him. And the angel of of, of the Lord calls to him and says, Abraham, Abraham. And he answers, here I am. And the angel says, don't you dare harm this child. Now, many rabbinic commentators suggest that the repetition of Abraham's name is an indication of urgency, that the angel needed to stop him before it was too late. But Rabbi Chia says in Bereshit Rabbah that actually it wasn't about urgency, it was an expression of love, as in, I love you too much to watch you do this terrible thing, to watch you hurt someone you love. This angel, then, is one that comes to a person in his most desperate hour, lovingly holding him to a higher standard than he even set for himself. And in that moment you might remember Abraham looks up and he sees a ram that's caught in a thicket and it occurs to him uh, maybe I can offer God this ram instead of my son. It's an incredible act of chutzpah to give God a ram when God asks for a child. And yet the angel's love somehow awakened Abraham's imagination. Before that, he thought there was simply no other choice. But now suddenly, he sees what's possible before him. These angels, they give Hagar and they give Abraham hope. They help them find clarity. They awaken their moral imagination. In the Torah, angels are called melachim. They're called messengers. And it's said that every angel has a specific particular mission tasked with bringing a particular message to a particular person in a particular moment. So the three men that come to visit Abraham and Sarah are seen as three angels with three distinct messages. There's Raphael, the angel of healing who's sent to support and comfort Abraham after his circumcision. There's Michael, who my brother was named after. This is the protector and the defender of Israel who came to tell Abraham and Sarah that they finally have a child. There's the mighty Gavriel himself, made of fire, who came in order to overturn Sodom and Gomorrah. In the most well-known angel narrative that appears in our Torah, Jacob is deeply vulnerable as he prepares to reunite with his brother Esav, whom he's been estranged from for many years. And in the night, he's attacked by an angel who comes in the form of a stranger and they wrestle all night and we know that it's the most intense struggle of Jacob's life but in the break of dawn, Jacob grabs the angel and says, I will not let you go until you bless me and in that moment that angel offers him a new name, a new identity, a new sense of self-understanding, you will no longer be called Jacob, from now on you will be Yisrael for you are one who has wrestled with God and man and survived. With this blessing from the angel, Jacob finds the will and the strength to approach his brother in a spirit of love and reconciliation the next morning. These are all peak moments when the angel's presence is obvious and unmistakable, but there are other stories too. When their entire lives that hinge on far more subtle encounters with angels, so subtle that you might even miss them if you're not really paying attention to the text. Listen to what happened to Joseph when one day his father Jacob sends him out to check on his brothers who were pastoring to their flocks out in in Shem. And this is a treacherous mission from the start. I can't honestly figure out why Jacob sent his beloved son Joseph out to check on his brothers who everybody knew hated Joseph because he had already told them twice that he had had these recurring dreams where he is reigning supreme over his brother. We also know that Shechem was a dangerous place for any of the sons of Jacob to be because they had just fought a battle in that place to avenge their sister's rape only, only a few years before. Anyway, Joseph goes out into the field to check on the welfare of his brothers. The problem is when he gets out there, he doesn't see his brothers anywhere, and he's about to return home safely. But then he bumps into a man and he asks this random man, Any chance you've seen my brothers? I heard they went that way, the man says, toward Dotan. And that's it. That, that's the end of that little episode. Joseph turns and he walks that way toward Dotan. Had he returned home, had he gone back to his father Jacob that day, he would not have been thrown into the pit. He would not have been sold into slavery. Years later, when there's a famine in the land, the brothers might have gone down to Egypt seeking food. They would not have found Joseph as Pharaoh's chief advisor. They would not have been invited to stay in Egypt. They would not have become enslaved when a new Pharaoh arose over Egypt. They would not have suffered hundreds of years of violent oppression, degradation, humiliation, and enslavement. And they would not have ultimately been redeemed. By God's strong hand and outstretched arm. All of this transpired, our tradition wants us to understand, because a guy in a field said, I think they went that way toward Dotan. So so who is this guy? Our rabbis say that he's the angel Gabriel, and that he was sent by the Holy One in order to ensure that Joseph would fall into his brother's hands just as God intended so that our story as a people could ultimately unfold as it did with all of the trials and all of the pain and all of the suffering, but also the triumph and ultimately the redemption. The The rabbis take it even further. Rabbi Simon says in the Midrash, he says that every single blade of grass has a constellation of angels surrounding it, coaxing it from the earth, whispering, katal, gadal, grow, grow. I've thought about that a lot over the course of these last couple of years as we've witnessed the scope and the scale of climate devastation brought about by impetuous, insatiable human beings. Every plant, every tree, Every blade of grass was placed here with intention and with love. And yet, how reckless are we with God's creation? And and, and listen to what Rabbi Yoshua Ben-Levi says about angels. He says that every single person is surrounded wherever he goes by a procession of angels who are blowing horns and saying, make way for an image of the Holy One is approaching. I thought a lot about that last spring and summer after the murders of Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. How deeply racism lives in the white body, how deeply it lives in our culture that again and again and again the image of the Holy One is trampled before us. How else could we keep missing all of those angels with their trumpets and their proclamations begging us to see the divinity in every single human being. And, and there's so many more angel stories and teachings in the Torah, in the prophets, in judges, and judges, and, and among the rabbis. There are angels everywhere throughout our tradition, from our sacred text to our folklore to our liturgy. I hope you're seeing the through line here. Angels appear in this world, often in moments of incredible vulnerability, danger, fear and they come to give us moral strength and clarity and hope to help us believe again. They challenge us to think creatively about what might be possible, and they let us know that we're not alone. They offer protection and connection and inspiration. It's Kol Nidre. Why am I sharing this with all of you tonight? because I want to ask us to consider over the course of this next day together two stirring possibilities. One, that there really are angels everywhere. Not only back then, but also in our time, also now. And that they're even in this room. They're even on this Zoom. I want to ask you to consider that there are those blessed souls who were brought into this world to do holy work, the holy work of transmitting sacred messages, of planting the seed of hope and possibility in the darkest of moments, just like Hagar's angel, of lovingly holding us to a better version of ourselves by holding up a mirror and saying, I know that you can do better. You can and you must live in greater alignment with your own values calling us to cherish the preciousness of life like Abraham's angel did. That there are those who are tasked with wrestling with us, giving us strength and clarity, perseverance and resilience, especially in the moments when we're feeling the most vulnerable. And there are those whose sacred task is to gently, subtly point us in the right direction so that our stories can unfold with grace. There are God's angels everywhere, even here. And I know that you've encountered them. I know that you've encountered them in a quiet whisper, in a mysterious presence. I know you encountered an angel with the person who gave you a loan when you were desperate and then wouldn't let you repay it. I know you encountered an angel with the couple that calls you every Friday for three years just to check in after your son tragically died on a Friday. I know that you encountered an angel with the one who sat with you in the darkness, not to cheer you up, but just to be beside you. With the one who said your loved one's name a Kaddish when you couldn't make it to Morning Minyan. With the one who told you that her husband also has Parkinson's and she could help you make your way through the unknown with the one who saw your beauty and your promise when you couldn't. I know you know that there are angels here too. You have all seen them, we have all seen them. The second thing that I wanna ask you to consider tonight is that you may be one of them. A few years ago, our beloved Marta Kaufman gave an incredible speech when she won a Lifetime Achievement Humanities Award and she spoke that night about the imposter syndrome and I'll never forget this. Imposter syndrome is when somebody thinks that she's a fraud and she lives in fear of being exposed as a fraud day in and day out. It's paralyzing. It is debilitating, trust me. It leaves people who have it thinking that they don't deserve what they've got and that they've fooled everyone in the world into thinking that they do. That night, in that room, Marta Kaufman asks, people to raise their hands if they'd ever experienced imposter syndrome, and in that room that night of brilliant, high-achieving TV and film writers, I was a plus one, um, (laughs) almost every single person in the room raised their hands. It was right around this time that Andrew Solomon, who's a professor of psychology at Columbia University, wrote about the treacherous gap between public triumph and private despair, with the outer shell obscuring the real person, even to those with whom we have professed intimacy. We know that imposter syndrome can be not only painful, it can be fatal. In Jewish parlance, imposter syndrome is what we call the problem of Zusia. You probably heard about this at some point. Zusia, though he was a great rabbi, was afraid to die Because he said he was ashamed to stand before God in judgment, having failed to live as deeply and faithfully as Abraham or Moses. And then his Rebbe tells him that actually he's got it wrong. That when he dies, God will not ask him, why were you not Abraham? Why were you not Moses? God will only ask, were you Zuzia? Becoming ourselves. That is a spiritual imperative of the highest order for our own sakes and for the sake of the world. Because our tradition insists that every single person is unique, that of the billions of people who are alive on this planet, there has never been, and there will never be another just like you, Kareem. That's it, here you are, and it's only you. And it's also true about you, Sarah and it's also true about Lirona, it's true about every single one of us. That is an incredible claim. And this summer, my dear friend Rabbi Scheiheld introduced me to the language of Rabbi Shlomi Volbe, the great 20th century master of Musser, and here's what he said. He said, I, with my unique combination of capabilities in this particular time and place, I am called to do what is undoubtedly a unique task before me, all of creation is waiting for me because I cannot trade my avodah, I cannot trade my core work with anyone else in the world. That is an incredibly daring theology. The idea that not only every angel, but every single person was brought into the world with some higher purpose. In the language of the Slonim Rebbe, it's a shlichut eliona, something only we can do. Yes, just Like the angels, every one of us was also sent here on a particular mission. Each one of us, messengers of the Holy One. I only wish that we could hear that. We inflict so much pain on ourselves because we don't believe that our voice will matter. We think someone else will be better qualified. We're afraid. We're distracted. We're really busy. We have these devices attached to our bodies. I think that might ultimately be the work of Yom Kippur, to peel away those protective layers around the heart that keep us from seeing who we really are and who we're actually called to be, so that when the moment arises, we will be ready to step up. There's a Mishnah that I have shared with this community many, many times. This is a text that absolutely changed my life when I encountered it and changed my understanding of love, of human suffering, of the power of community. You may have heard me share this before. This Mishnah teaches that in temple times, thousands of people would converge on the Temple Mount for pilgrimage, and all of them would enter the courtyard in one seamless mass. They would enter, they would circle around the perimeter to the right, and then they'd make their way out the very same door that they came in, but someone who's suffering, someone who's brokenhearted, someone who's lonely, someone who's grieving, someone who's sick, Misha Erudavar, someone to whom something awful happens, that person has to show up too. That person shows up through the same doorway that everyone else entered, but when she walks in, she turns to the left instead of the right. And she has to walk her way around that circle, but in the opposite direction. I just want you to think about that for a moment. When we're suffering, when our loved ones are hovering between life and death, when our lives are encased in darkness, when every instinct we have is to isolate, because who would understand our pain anyway? We are called to show up. We're called to walk against the grain. And now imagine this. You're on pilgrimage. You have saved up you have planned you have made reservations you've waited for this holy moment it might be the spiritual highlight of your life going to jerusalem for the pilgrimage and then here you are making your way around the courtyard and this miscain this this broken guy is walking toward you and all you want to do is avert your eyes because you're on a spiritual quest but you're not allowed to you're not allowed to Every single person who passes by someone with a broken heart walking in the other direction is obligated to ask two simple words, ma-lach, ma-lach, what's going on with you? Where is your pain? Tell me, tell me about your heartache. And this person, this person who's suffering would answer, I'm afraid, I am bereft, I am shattered. And then words of comfort are offered, consolation, presence, love, I see you each of them would say, you are not alone. The reason I'm telling you this story that I've told you a hundred times before is because listen to what I just realized this year about this story. This question, the question that we are called to ask one another, ma lach, that is precisely the question that the angel asked Hagar, that day that the angel found Hagar weeping and wailing in the desert sun, ma lach, Hagar. Tell me about your pain, Hagar. And the message, it seems to me, is perfectly clear. Now it's we, it's each of us that's called to step into the role of the angel on earth and to ask malach. And in so doing, to become the malach, to become the angel ourselves. You heard Ali and Jeremy's story tonight. You heard about how sometimes in life you go out for a run before Shabbat and you're struck and you're nearly killed by a drunk driver. And I really thank God. I thank God every day that you are before us and able to tell this incredible story, this miracle. And I know that you're healing and that you'll recover because you're one of the strongest and most willful and most beautiful people I know. There's another part of the story that I want to tell you tonight that Allie and Jeremy said it was okay to share. Allie might not be here tonight had it not been for a team of angels that saved her life. When the drunk driver hit Allie and started to speed away, there was a woman named Angie who was out for a walk with her two-year-old child, the same age as Allie and Jeremy's youngest child. Holding her little child in her arms in the face of this horrible accident, she ran into the middle of the intersection and she blocked incoming traffic with her body while calling 911. At just that same moment, there was a guy named James who was waiting at a red light in the other direction. And he also witnessed as Ali was struck. He instinctively, without being asked, jumped out of his car to block the traffic coming from the other direction like Angie, James, protected Allie's body with his own. And also at that intersection, at that moment, there was a man named Andrew who, like Allie, was out for a run in the neighborhood that afternoon. And witnessing the impact of this accident, he ran after the car that struck her and shouted for the driver to stop. And then he raced back to where Allie was lying on the ground. And this stranger, some guy named Andrew, held her limp body in his arms and he told her his name and he spoke gently to her and he told her that he would not leave her alone until help came. He may not have known that he was the help himself. I don't know any of these three people. I don't know why they converged on this street corner at precisely this moment on precisely this day or how they knew exactly what they needed to do in that moment, I know that their presence feels unquestionably holy to me. It is impossible for me to believe that this was not part of their shlichut, part of their higher purpose in this world. And I understand, even as I say this, that this raises some profound theological dilemmas. Why do angels sometimes appear just precisely at the moment that we need them? And yet sometimes they don't. I thank God that Allie was saved. I don't know why other people we love were not. The only thing that I can come to is that since we don't understand the inner workings of angels or God, when they're sent and why and how, all the more so every single one of us needs to make sure that we step forward When we are called. Toni Morrison gave an incredible eulogy for James Baldwin. And and she closed it by quoting back his own words. He said, our crown has already been bought and paid for. All we have to do is wear it. I am asking us tonight to train our eyes in this time of so much suffering and such hard edges to see the angels that are before us. And to know in our hearts that we, too, are called to wear our crown. To be those ministering angels in this broken world. malacheh Hasharit, messengers of the Holy One. I pray that we learn this year how to see the brokenhearted. And rather than turn away, to ask Malach, tell me, tell me about your pain. May we attune our hearts to the call so that we step into the intersection just when we are needed. May we learn to wear our crown, a crown of humility, of presence, and love, just as angels do. Gamar chatimah and shanah Hi, it's Mayim Bialik. Actor, neuroscientist, Ekar member, and lover of all things Jewish. Do you like what you're listening to? Please consider donating to IKAR so that we can continue creating more podcasts and fulfilling our mission of harnessing untapped energy in the Jewish community to reanimate Jewish life, embody moral courage, nurture the spirit, and work to decipher what it means to be a human being in the world today. Why don't you visit our website at ekar laorg and give today.